The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Gateway KTSU BMI on the gridiron. It's Sunday action semifinal men's soccer and Monday ETSU men's basketball. King University jam-packed weekend full of ETSU athletics all at home. You can go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Friday, Friday Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Hey, you don't have to go to Friday. We're not playing. Volleyball's playing. Oh, volleyball's playing. They're at home, too. That's right. We had to cancel the broadcast. Yeah. You can go volleyball Friday. You can go to a different venue and see football Saturday. You can go see men's soccer, different venue. You can on. double your fun with football and volleyball on the same day. You can go, like, right across the street somewhere and grab something to eat. Actually, you don't even have to cross the street. You can go to, like, nights or something and get something to eat, come back, volleyball. But if you're smart, you tailgate it, so you probably got food left over. Yeah, that's a very good yeah, point. So, yeah, yeah, you can do that, too. So, uh, yeah. Come support the volleyball team. They've won uh, three in a row. Three in a row and five or four of their last six. So they're they're getting it together uh, right, at the, right at the end of the year, right at the right time. Hey, getting better at the right time. This is a uh, couple tough matchups, and uh, they could use the support. So uh, head on out to Brooks Gym. Just get yourself in the habit is for it women's senior basketball. Day Friday, uh, I am not sure. I know they were debating. One of those is senior day. It's. I mean, I flipped a coin, and I actually have a quarter right here. But uh, yeah, they're um, yeah, they're, they're 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 playing a lot better right now. Got a couple wins on the road. They beat Chattanooga on the road. Love it. I know you love that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, come out and support uh, Buccaneer volleyball this weekend. Uh, in addition to ETSU football and ETSU men's soccer. And if you want to get the advanced scout on, uh, don't don't film it. Because that's gotten some people in some trouble recently. But if you want to get the advanced scout on ETSU's opponent on Sunday, uh, the semifinal is at three o'clock tomorrow, between or the quarterfinal rather is at three o'clock tomorrow between Mercer and UNCG. And uh, I, I mean, I'm going to be there because I have to be there to call the game for the SoCon on ESPN Plus. But uh, you can come out uh, to that one as well. All right, SoCon football this week. Uh, it's some big ones this week. Obviously, our focus is going to be ETSU and Furman. We will hear from your guy, Wade Branner, a little bit later. I love Wade. Yeah. He's been, he was a, the, he the, just the, retired. The and, uh, yeah. I'm using quotes. I don't want to do air quotes here. But he retired from the SID world but continues since he still lives there and was there for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, still continue to do the broadcast. So he does the TV side. Uh, doing the radio side, I'm be curious to see how many more years he does the traveling radio, but um, uh, I think he'll be a fixture on TV and home game radio as long as they will let him. Uh, guy that loves I mean, you stay in Lexington, Virginia, you must love it. And I'm not, you know, there, there's a few places there you can go and do, and I mean a few. I'm but, not going to uh, yuck anybody's yum. You know what? Yeah, if you find right. a place to live that you love and you just want to put down roots there, you go for it. You are a small town person and don't want to deal with a lot, and in a military, very structured environment and you drive in that absolutely that's what you should do uh you know there are plenty of people that like i got a buddy of mine i grew up with and he lives in 
Brooklyn, I've went and stayed with him a few times and, and him going to the grocery store every other day and his washing machine can do like three things at one time, literally like three shirts and that's it and you're doing laundry all day and he loves it, good for him. <laughs> Dad, he hadn't had a car in 20 some years. Good for him. That's awesome. I don't like that, but good for him, right? I mean, everybody has their own druthers. My guy, Wade, great guy, great guy is Wade and I can't wait to uh, hear from Wade. I'll be, I'll be wondering if we get him excitable at all. He's, he's very, he's very monotone. He's very, very strength-based guy. Very military guy, actually, even though I don't think he served. But you, sometimes when you work in that environment long enough, you kind of pick up the 100%. the mannerisms and, and, and sort of the demeanor, if you will. Uh, I don't know. we got a little sidetrack. A couple huge games we'll talk about. Uh, maybe well, one huge game uh, for sure. Uh, Furman and Chattanooga, the other one. We can probably get to that, I'm assuming, in the big six. But uh, I don't make that up, and I never know who we pick until we do. The other games, uh, Mercer certainly back in the mix now for the playoffs. They're at the Citadel looking for their first win at Western Carolina uh, at Wofford. So looking for their first win uh, as far as – actually, I think they're both looking for their first win, right? Who? The Citadel and Wofford. Neither yes. one won, right? Yes. And, and any, not just Conrad, anything. So now that's going to give next week because Wofford and the Citadel, and I hope that is our goal line sickos game. I really hope that that is the one game. Wofford in the Citadel. That's the goal line game. Let's go. No? Okay. It's got to be at least in the pick six at some point of the Sickos game. If they're both winless. Which oh, not, you know what? Which they we'll will see. Be. We'll see. Which they will be. We'll see. All right. Let's talk about ETSU BMI real quick. I think the first thing, BMI, Tuesday, um, you know, I mentioned Hunter Rice and the fact he'd been playing really good football. And then I went and really intently watched the game against Chattanooga, and about halfway through that watching him run, I went back and watched some of the other games, including the Citadel game, mainly because I always enjoy watching the BMI Citadel game. And I, I stick by I think he's one of the more underrated guys. The, some of the tackles that he runs through and finishes runs is where I think he's a separator from being underrated because he does have speed. He broke off a 67-yard touchdown run against Chattanooga, uh, made one guy miss. I, 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 honestly – the way the play was designed, I could see where the safety was going to the outside, and I think Rice made a nice cut inside, and he only had a chance to arm tackle, which Rice ran through and then just ran by everybody. But there was one late where it was mono e mono, and Rice just ran over a dude and got in the end zone uh, from Chattanooga. He's usually one of the best sure tackling teams in the league. So to me, it's about Rice finishing. They've added that wildcat to get him the ball um, a lot more in different ways, and so. Three straight games of 100 yards. I think it was 208 last game against Chad. Three scores. To me, that's that that's priority number one. It has to be for ETSU. How are they going to be able to contain Hunter Rice? And to me, what they did against Al Wooten and what Mercer was doing, phenomenal. Then you look at last week's game plan versus a very uh, run-heavy based Furman team. Now they do it. Obviously, Dominic Roberto is kind of the lead guy, but they certainly use Wayne Anderson Jr., Tyler Huff, and the run. So it's more than Roberto when they were able to shut that down. So this will be a good test because I think if, for both teams, if they don't get the running game going and put it on the quarterbacks, that's going to be interesting. For sure. I, I think this is something that you look at and say um, who's going to be able to throw the ball better or who's going to be able to run the ball better against a heavy box because I really feel like that's the situation that, that you, you run into here is – Teams are going to stack bodies in the box. They're going to put eight, nine guys in there, and they are going to dare you to throw the football deep. Um, ETSU kind of does that by default, right? And, and VMI doesn't necessarily do that all the time where, hey, we're going to pin our ears back. We're going to send blitzers. We're going to do all this. ETSU does that as their kind of default D 
defensive game plan is if we have things our way, we're going to have both safeties in tight, we're going to put linebackers in positions to fire through gaps, and we're going to force the ball out before you want it into corners that are winning in man coverage that can potentially go get a PBU or a pick. Uh, that is what ETSU's defense is built to do, is to stop the run. Uh, but again, when you put a player in the Wildcat, uh, that's designed to even the numbers out. It's designed to give you an extra player in the box somewhere so that you don't have the same sort of numbers disadvantage. And when you go from five players on the offensive line versus eight guys in the box to, okay, we're bringing in a tight end, uh, here's another guy in the backfield to chip. We're playing one-on-one. Now we've got seven in the box. There are eight defensive players. So it's like, literally it's one-on-one football where all that Wildcat has to do is beat one guy, and he's gone for a big play. That makes things interesting, and Rice has been really successful, like you talked about, fighting through tackles, but being a, a, a problem for teams in that plus-one run game that gets a really good athlete in space, and they can break out some tricky stuff. He threw out, he threw a touchdown against Wofford, but this is the guy that to me is the conduit of the VMI offense. Is Hunter Rice? He's somebody that is going to be problems, uh, a problem for Billy Taylor. He's going to be multiple different problems for Billy Taylor to try to contain. Uh, if they do get their pass game going, could get interesting. Uh, ETSU, I think, is going to be in a similar position where you know they're going to try to run the football. Uh, VMI knows they're going to try to run the football. Okay, what happens when VMI tries to take that away? Can you go to Tommy Winton down the sideline? Can you go to Quinn Cavallaro in space over the middle of the field? Can you get Trey Foster out uh, on, out in space in a flat? Can you utilize the Wildcat? with? Uh, I think we saw some good things with Foster in the Wildcat last week against Furman in a, in a couple of reps. So maybe, that, maybe now is the time to expand his role in the plus-one run game where you have an opportunity to get him the football and let him create some things for you. Certainly, the guy's earned the opportunity, right? He's been putting in the work in a lot of other ways. He's kind of the Swiss Army knife. He blocks kicks. He's on kick return team. He throws blocks for the other backs. That's somebody I'd like to see get some more touches this week. Uh, And they're going to need to find some creative ways to continue to run the football. But the most creative way to run the football is to succeed in the pass game and force VMI to take players out of the box, put them on the wings, and then let your guys go to work with more favorable numbers against them between the hashes. Yeah, I think the you know, for Trey Foster, you know, from what we're hearing, you know, Irby didn't play the second half against Furman. And um, then he got a few carries, and all of a sudden Trey kind of hit a couple big runs. And I think because of all you said, him putting in the time just to ask Coach, put me on the field wherever I can. Yes. Whether it is a kick coverage, it's punt block, it's whatever you've just said. Play, and he's done all of those things. And was given an opportunity to, to, to carry the water, if you will, and did an outstanding job. So, you know, if Irby doesn't go, you know, Trey probably deserves a start and will get a lot of touches and we'll see how it goes from there. But to me, it's one of those stories. That, to me, it's kind of like the Artavia Smith. Now, the difference is Foster stayed on the offensive side of the ball where Artavius did everything every position he could do, he found a place to play. But it's doing all the right things. And I think the one thing that Borish, uh, Zach Borish told me about Trey Foster um, after the block kick, he was like, I don't, he said, that guy plays as hard 
sometimes that's like a cliche, oh, that guy plays hard. But that guy plays hard on every single play, like as hard as you can go. Like he does it. He, there's one speed, and sometimes that's why he gets hurt. But in the same token, it's one speed, and that's what you get. So I'm excited. And, and what, what more does this team need right now than guys that just play hard on every single snap and can play a lot of snaps? And I think that's where Foster is right now at this point in this season, and that's where ETSU is right now. They need guys to just go out there and bring intensity. And if you play intense and you play hard and you play fast, then good things are going to happen. And I think there are some opportunities for some good things to happen uh, against this VMI team this week. Yeah, I, I think the, the chance to run the football, VMI is averaging giving up about 186 yards on the ground. About four and a half yards of carry. Yeah, so I mean, I think there's opportunity. But again, a cat and mouse game, knowing any tissues had struggles at quarterback, you know, is Gowardette's going to play because we saw him be helped off the field at the end of the game down in Greenville, South Carolina. So if you're VMI and uh, Danny Rocco, and, and I'll, I'll ask Wade this, kind of his opinion on what the defense is going to do traditionally last several years. Again, it's under Coach Walkenheim who's not there. You know, it was a blitz all the time. I mean, they were bringing people all the time and just trying to get to the quarterback within a second half, two seconds, make you make a mistake. And so, you know, they do blitz from what I've seen. Um, but, again, I'll just ask the inside guy what he thinks about, you know, the, the chances of that. But, again, it's all game plan based to me. I mean, Danny Rocco has been around the, the business, right, 16 years as a head coach, seven conference championships in that, in that time, rather, at Liberty or Richmond. So he's coaching winning football. He's been in the playoffs, a couple quarterfinal runs, I believe. So he's been in that situation before where, okay, we want to do this, but I see the deficiencies of X team, so I'm going to switch it up. I don't know if we'll see it being a little more blitz or it be a little more load the box, but I think it's going to be one of the two, if not both. I do appreciate you you, you left out his 2020, spring 21 title in the CAA with Delaware because everybody seems to be trying to forget that Danny Rocco was not a coach of Delaware. Most of all, Delaware. I did, I did, well, I did. But, uh, I, you know, I, I crossed paths with Danny when he was coach of Delaware. He was great to me, and I, I thought he did some good things with that program, just not quite to the level that they wanted. And, you know, I, I think it's all going to come out in the wash for everybody in that situation because Danny's gone to VMI, and he's got them believing. Uh, he has them believing that they can go toe-to-toe with anybody in this conference, and they have. They went toe-to-toe. You know, Mercer hit some explosive plays, and they were able to get away from them. Uh, but they went toe to toe with Chattanooga. They went toe to toe with uh, uh, David. Or with uh, not David. With uh, well, they did beat Davidson. They went toe to toe with Wofford and they won that game. Uh, they went on the road to the Citadel and they won that game. Um, they didn't exactly make things easy for Sanford and Mercer, uh, and they had a real chance to beat an exhausted Chattanooga team. So, I, I think this is a team that believes they can hang with anybody, and they're going to come in here. Uh, this is not going to be the Wofford game. This is not going to be. ETSU gets a defensive touchdown, and they fold. This is going to be ETSU gets a defensive touchdown, and okay, let's roll up our sleeves and go punch them in the mouth. That's going to be the mindset of this VMI team. They are ready for any kind of fight. They are willing to fight. Uh, They are up for it in in a big-time way, and that makes up for a lot. This is not the most talented team in the conference, but they've got a ton of heart, and that starts with their head coach getting them to buy in to the idea that, hey, you're not going to win a title, right? You're not going to make the playoffs. But there's enough here that we can win some games and we can build, we can restore the pride in this program because we're still not that far removed from that Scott Walkenheim championship title team uh, that, that went, what, 7-1 and one in the SOCON. So they, they, there's the seniors on this team were on that team. 
they have experienced the highs and lows, and we're going to give them something closer to the highs than, than what they dealt with the lows. And so they're coming in here with the belief they can win this game, and they probably believe they can win one of their last two, which are at Furman in Western Carolina as well. Yeah, one thing for VMI, it's an interesting note, Chance Knox did not play last game, their leading receiver. And so be curious to see if he can go. But what they did have was the emergence of Egypt Nelson, who made a couple of big, not just catches, but run after catches. He's averaging almost 20 yards a reception. Great name, by the way. It is. Uh, He's got a spectacular name. And then uh, Zamari White Muhammad got his first action as well. And he made a couple of plays. But uh, Nelson and Thorpe each got behind the defense and Ironside overshot him. So – it was run, 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 take a shot uh, over the top, or they would hit some small crossers where Nelson would catch about a five-yard pass and turn it into a 25-yard game. So they got a couple home run guys that can flat out run because it's still built off the old kind of fast break on grass air raid um, situation that VMI was doing under walking height. And then the other underrated guy, just real quick, is Aiden Twombly, the six foot four, two thirty-five tight end. He made a couple catches in traffic last game that just reminded me just how big he is. And I think that could be a little bit of a matchup nightmare more for ETSU and that tight end slot than maybe the outside receivers. I want to know what their quarterback situation is. Are they going to go with Colin Ironside? Are they going to go with Colin Shannon? Colin Shannon's the redshirt freshman from Sevierville. Colin Ironside is a, what, redshirt junior, redshirt senior from Knoxville. So um, what's their situation? Because I think they play both, but also Shannon – got a series in a really weird spot right at the end of the game. He got the last series of the Chattanooga game, and I don't know if that well, was... he got benched because um, Ironside threw an interception in the end zone, which was terrible. Yeah. I mean, just to be uh, yeah. blunt about it, I think he got he got benched for that. Twombly, yeah. Twombly ran it out and was open for like 14 minutes, and by the time Ironside threw a complete pop-up floater, then the guy from the backside took 14 steps intercepted. It was not a very good throw. Uh, other than that, Ironside made some very good throws, except for the second series where he threw in a triple coverage. I just feel like that's a weird spot to make a change at quarterback. I get why. I get. I understand that, but I also feel like that's one that you make after the game is over, like the next week. But um, I mean, do they start Shannon? Do they start Ironside? Who gets the lion's share of the reps there? Uh, that will Shannon's be the only other start. You know when that was? So he's played two games, and uh-huh. he started and played one complete game. You, you, off the top of your head, do you know? Citadel. He had to start the NC State game. NC State. <laughs> Ironside was hurt. So his first his first action that you're thrown into duty was, hey, here's NC State, son. Good luck. That's your first, well, the, your the, first the college action. News, the good news is uh, that, that you started in the deep end, and you will you will not uh, you will not face that level of competition again for a long, long time. Um, I'm curious to see how that all shakes out, though, because I think that is something that could be very important. Um, and it, VMI's had some ballers over the years. Seth Morgan was just a football player, right? He was not always yes. the most accurate quarterback, but he he was athletic. He'd extend plays. He'd look down the field. He'd try to direct receivers. Like, he did all the other things. Like, he was just a flat-out baller. And Reese Dinsky could pick you apart. I mean, he was just so – he just had such a great range of, of passes that he could complete. He could make all – he makes all the throws, right? And uh, he's a player that – Again, VMI had at a really high level for a really long time. I'm, I don't see that in either of these guys, but that doesn't mean that they can't put it all together for one game and uh, and give ETSU some fits. So, 
I think the Bucks will need to get the quarterback off the spot. And if they do that and they stop the run, then VMI is not going to score very much. And the question turns back to ETSU. Can the Bucks generate enough points to win this football game on Saturday? Well, that's what we think. Let's see what uh, Wade Brenner thinks. What do you think of that? I think that sounds right. the VMI Keita to Wade Branner. And, Wade, thanks for taking the time on the Jay and Keith podcast. And, buddy, we go way back. Uh, matter of fact, when we went in the league, I was amazed how many folks were still in the Southern Conference when we left and was still there. Not making you sound old, buddy, but uh, just to, the fact that you and Hunter and some of the you know some of the faces in the Southern Conference, and to me that's the great thing about the Southern Conference was getting to see folks and how much that they, they love the university, love the conference, and, and stuck around. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about, Jerry. It's good to, to talk to you again. Uh, yeah, we've had a long run in the SoCon, and uh, in fact, you know, when we first met, that was our, our first run in the league, and then you know, we left for about a decade to go to the Big South, but, but now we're back in the Southern, and we've been back about 10 years in the Southern now, so... Um, but, but it is a great league, great people, uh, terrific memories. And, you know, VMI ETSU, they've had some great football games through the years, and hopefully we'll have another one on, on Saturday in Johnson City. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. There has been some interesting ones. Back in 2001, you remember we played on Thanksgiving Day uh, because of 9-11, bump, bumped that game off, and, and I think that's the only time that I could find, looking through the history books, that ETSU's ever played on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, I remember that well. We kicked off at noon. The game was free. We had a, a pretty decent crowd. I mean, we kicked off at noon, and, and a lot of people from the town uh, came out, and either they, uh, you know, shifted their dinner plans or moved things later. But you know, Thanksgiving and football always go together, and it gave them a chance to see a college football game at noon, and uh, uh, that was a, a unique setting as, as well. Yeah, it came down to the wire, and like most of these games so far, uh, since ETSU has been back in a league with VMI and Southern Conference, they've played seven times. ETSU right now five and two, but there have been some games that have come down to the wire. Uh, VMI a few years ago from the lightning delay and into the wee hours of the morning, but that was a, a situation where VMI bested the Bucks at the William B. Green Jr. Stadium in overtime. So there have been some tightly contested ball games for sure, and certainly these two teams weighed uh, very similar you know, VMI is known for defense. ETSU Billy Taylor known for defense. It's just been a struggle for both squads to figure out how to get points from their offenses. Yeah, I mean, it's been a question of consistency. Uh, some good things in some areas one week, uh, and then that goes bad, and some other areas they do better. And, and it's just, it, you know, quarterback play has been uh, inconsistent, and that's reflected on the the offensive output, um, but having said that, I mean, Colin Ironside has done some good things as well. Uh, you know, ball security has been has been a forte for him this year. Um, he makes good throws when he has the time. Uh, Danny Rocco, first-year coach coming in, he kind of tried to change the identity 
up this offense. Uh, as you know, under Scott Wackenheim, it was air raid, it was up-tempo, it was throw, throw, throw. Had some quarterbacks who could do that in Reese Udinsky and, and, and Seth Morgan. But uh, a little bit different this year. He's trying to sh- uh, change the focus to running the football, chewing up the clock, letting the defense make make some plays, get the other opponent offense off the field, and shorten the game. And um, I think now BMI's offense is starting to get a little bit more identity. They're running the football better. Certainly Hunter Rice's uh, performance the last three weeks has, has shown that. And uh, I think a lot of it has to, to be with a, a new coach coming in with a new staff trying to, to build a, a different um, offensive focus and identity and trying to get the people in their respective positions where they can most succeed. And you, you just can't do that in a summer camp or a, a spring practice. you, you got to do it through live games. And, you know, here we are, you know, week seven, eight, nine. Uh, we're starting to see some of the fruits of that labor. Yeah, Wade, uh, when I talked to Danny Rocco at Media Day in Greenville, he talked about dedicating this season to the seniors and just trying to find something to, to give his kids motivation to play for. But where do you think he's been most successful in rebuilding this VMI team that not that long ago under Scott Walkenheim won a SoCon title? Well, uh, I think he's been very good at preparing the team. Also, the way they have played hard, right down to the stretch, you know, he said at the outset, and as he did on media day, you know, we have got to hang together. We have got our, our resilience uh, and being able to stick together is, is what is going to carry us through. And so, you know, we, we saw that last week uh, against Chattanooga, 17th-ranked team, a tremendous defense, and yet BMI continued to do some good things on offense and was very, very successful uh, time of possession dominated, uh, rushed for 210 yards, uh, had 26 first downs, and yeah, the third down conversions had been a problem for BMI the first part of the season coming into the game last week, 24%, but then converted 10 of 18. So I, I think that, you know, just preaching, hang in there, continue to, to, to get better, uh, and, and play for the seniors as well. And Danny Rocco you know, pointed out at the start of the year, you know, these seniors have have been to the mountaintop in the lowest part of the valley. Uh, you know, last year we did not win a, a, a conference game, but VMI, two years before that, won a SOCON championship. And these seniors experienced both of it. So, um, obviously, they would like to, to go out November, three strong games, and, and get as many wins as possible for the VMI seniors because uh, they, they've been through it all. It's a good group led by Evan Eller and uh, a very good defensive group. And, and I, I think that uh, you know, the way they've just been able to been resi- be resilient this year has been uh, the key to DMI season. Wade, I've been really impressed with Hunter Rice the last three weeks, 463 yards and six touchdowns uh, in that span. And uh, I, I think you know, Jay called him earlier this week, maybe the most underrated player in the SOCOM, but if he keeps doing that, it won't be that way for long. Um, what has allowed Rice to just explode out of the backfield for VMI over the last month? Well, I think they've uh, they've gone to some new formations. He's gotten some yardage out of the Wildcat formation, and VMI's been very successful with that. They started rolling that out uh, a lot against the Citadel and even more last week, and, and so he's been able to, to get some success out of that. I think the offensive line has gelled as well. Again, it goes back to – putting people into what they do best, and uh, 
they were looking at the running game. They struggled the first part of the season getting yards on the ground. But um, this, this wildcat formation and going to other things like unbalanced formation, just mixing it up, putting the offensive lineman in a position for success, that has opened up things for Hunter Rice, and he's taken it from there. Uh, where he's really excelled also is yards after contact. I mean, he's always been a, a downhill runner, can get that, that sh- third down and short, fourth down and short yardage. But now, you know, he, he's slashing into the line, he's taking the hit, and now he's, you know, he's able to do things after that and getting a lot of yards uh, after contact. And he's also shown some, some breakaway speed as well. Um, so that's, that's been the most exciting thing to see from Hunter Rice. Flip to the defensive side here. We're talking to Wade Brenner, longtime play-by-play voice of the BMI Keydads. And Wade, uh, you look at the defense, and traditionally, since ETSU has been back in the Southern Conference of BMI, a lot of man-to-man with a lot of a lot of blitzes. Right? You're always going to bring pressures, whether it's exotic or it's just traditional. But there always seems to be uh, the number one goal is to, to get as much pressure as you can on the quarterback and go. Has that philosophy changed at all under Coach Rocco, or is it still pretty much almost like a blitzkrieg style? Oh, it's very much changed because Danny Rocco, I mean, he's a defensive guy through and through. And, uh, it, look, he, it's not that he doesn't want to put pressure on the quarterback and be in my will, but they're not strapping it up and, and coming after quarterbacks uh, like they used to and really putting pressure uh, on the defensive backs. That has changed. Uh, you'll see a lot of different looks. You'll see a, a, even a three-deep look uh, at, at safety for VMI. And, you know, the key to that has been uh, the versatility of Evan Eller. You'll see him. He wears number two. He'll line up all around the defense. But, uh, you know, Danny Rocco believes, you know, we've got to be multiple. We have to be able to respond what the game dictates and execute accordingly. And uh, that, that philosophy has really helped our pass defense. I think it's taken some pressure off of it. And as a result, BMI's been leading the, the league in pass defense most of the year. I think a lot of that is just you know, lining up and, and putting the defense in a, in a position to succeed. Um, but you know, I think coming in, there was a lot of experience coming back. And Danny Rocco and staff saw an opportunity to look, you know, we can, we can change some things around. We'll still be aggressive, but we're going to, to take matters at hand, know what the opponent is doing, and uh, react accordingly and, and be able to execute. Unfortunately, Wade, for both teams that have struggled offensively means that the punters have seen a lot of action, but they're the two best punters in the league. So if you do get the fourth down, obviously that, that's a big weapon for each punter to try to help out. Maybe the, the flip side of that, ETSU, uh, one of the best in the country at blocking punts with five blocks so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I would hate to think what it would be like without Jack Culbreth this year, the BMI punter. He has um, just gotten better each and every year. Uh, he was ninth in FCS in punting last year, you know, in the top three or four uh, the last two weeks. Um, he has been able to, to change a game and, you know, put – uh, bad situations that VMI is encountering during the game into, into very good situations to flip, flip things around in a hurry. Um, able to, to pin the opponents back inside the 20. Um, you know, you're playing, when you're playing a defense uh, that you know, relies on field position and you're relying on your defense to make plays and take the pressure off your offense, it's very important you have a good punter. And Jack Culbreth has been able to do that a couple weeks ago. He had a, a season-long 
76 yarder. And the, and the thing that amazes uh, to me about Jack is that he's been able to do it in all kinds of weather conditions. I mean, last week was, was beautiful and 80 degrees and almost like an August day. And he was able to respond there. But uh, the weekend before, it was very windy against uh, Sanford. And, and he just, uh, he seems no matter what the weather, rain, ice, whatever, I mean, he, he seems to be able to go out there and, and put the numbers up, and uh, to key that kicking game is really going to miss him when he moves on, but he has been a big part of being my special teams play over the years. Well, Wade, really appreciate you taking the time today and joining us here on the podcast. I look forward to seeing you again on Saturday, my friend. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've kind of cut back my broadcast schedule this year, not, not doing as many road games, but I did go to the Citadel, and I'm going to this one on Saturday. It'll be great to, to see you guys in Johnson City. All right, wait. Safe travels. All right, thanks, Shane. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. Yay! It's the pick six. You picked that up all by yourself? Yes, I did. I did, Brent Musburger. The water boy just needed some water. All right, 50-yard line. You know the drill by now. You pick the game. Well, I call out the games. You pick the games, and you tell me what you think is going to happen. Uh, how about we start out at the 50-yard line with a familiar team, Austin P. They are on the road at Eastern Kentucky. Massey says, Govs, 35-28, 65% chance to win. But this is Uh, in Richmond. It's going to be in front of, like, 17,000, maybe. I mean, they're going to draw pretty well for this one. It is a high-stakes game for EKU. But Austin Peay, at the same time, is the only team really in the UAC that's just kept their noses clean. They've had some close calls. Of course, the double OT at Southern Utah, where they probably should have lost. North Alabama was maybe a little closer than they would have liked. But they have won now six in a row, and they are undefeated in conference play. Yeah, it's one of those. Man, Austin P. All right. Last week, I was decent, not overthinking, not doing a lot, hearing the teams going first gut. And EKU, to me, still has some problems, so I'm going to go Austin P. I... I like Eastern Kentucky, man. I like them. I love their offense. It's fun to watch. Uh, but this is a team that just seems to be having too many issues lately. They had to rope-a-dope their way past Utah Tech. Yes, it was on the road. They lost to Gardner-Webb again. Uh, just too many close calls here against teams that I don't trust. The more close calls than P. I think P is the more complete team. The Govs get this done on the road in a tight one. 40-yard line. Maybe the last edition of Bedlam. Number nine, Oklahoma, at number 22, Oklahoma State. Massey says Sooners, 65% chance to win. Projected final score, 34-27, Oklahoma coming off that loss to Kansas last week. So that's exactly why I'm going to take Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, Just coming off the loss. um, I was looking at that game earlier, um, but to me – Everything that, that they got off to an awful start, and they made a comeback, and then of course Kansas able to put them away. Um, I think Oklahoma is going to be really fired up and very upset and ready to take it out on who? Well, they're arch rivals, Oklahoma State, besides Texas, they're next to us. So 
Next, next is next is our drama soundtrack. <laughs> That's a word. Jay knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Texas. They obviously beat Texas earlier in the year, and that's part of why they are still in the college football playoff conversation, despite that loss to KU. I just think there's too much that points in the direction of the Sooners for this. They're the better offensive team. They're the better defensive team. They're good for it. I, I'm going to take the Sooners on the road here. Uh, in a, what what has to be one last gut punch to an Oklahoma State team that is losing its principal rival to the SEC to the money pit in, in, in a year's time. 30-yard line, Sacramento State at Montana. The Montana Grizzlies are a slight favorite, according to Massey. 27-24 projected final score, 57% chance for the homestanding Grizz to win. I love it. Love it when they're in, uh, in uh, Missoula in uh, night games, right? When it's just everybody's just absolutely. Missoula at night yeah. in the snow. Taking them. It's all that. Taking them. Montana. Not even close. This Take They em. could win this game by a couple touchdowns. Taking them. I'm taking Montana. 20-yard line, South Dakota at Southern Illinois. See, that's a good one. That's a good one. That should, this is a doozy. Uh, Southern Illinois. 81% chance to win. Projected final score, 21-13. to 13. The Coyotes uh, took a little while to wake up against Indiana State, won that game 17-3, and then got pasted by the Jackrabbits the following week. Meanwhile, SIU, uh, big win last week over Western Illinois. They lost a tight win to SDSU, uh, and, uh, but they still got that head-scratching 31-3 loss at Youngstown State. Oh, boy. So, uh, a few weeks ago, I probably would have jumped on the road team, South Dakota. But it's a few weeks later, and I'm not. <laughs> so, I'm going to go Salukis all the way in this one. Um, South Dakota, I mean, this is one of those, like, I, and I realize it's 81%, whatever it was, but th- this is one of those where you could possibly jump on it as a great uh, extra point or whatever we call the thing. Uh, but I, so anyway. Uh I got I hate this, man. We're agreeing on too much stuff. That's because that's because I've switched my philosophy. You pick games where you wanted to pick a team, and you knew I'd go the other way. And right now, I'm throwing you curveballs, and I'm not going the way you think I'm. Going. Southern Illinois is going to win this game. Yeah, agreed. They're going to win this game. That's going to be I, USD. It's just struggling for points right now offensively. It's not there for them. Give me, give me the Salukis. I don't know. I, I think 21-13 is probably a fair score prediction. That's a little on the low side, but I think that's the kind of game that we're going to get. Uh, different game, North Dakota State. It's South Dakota State, the marker at the 10-yard line. Boy, this is one of those where South Dakota State's always kind of had North Dakota State's number because North Dakota State's always been the hunted, the right? The game that is historically harder to win than the national championship itself, the Dakota marker game. Yeah, and I – you know, it's always been the one where, to me, it always meant more to, at, at that time to South Dakota State because North Dakota State was still racking up championships. So did they really care about a regular season game? I mean, I'm sure they cared. Don't get me wrong. But in the same token, right, I on the prize was that. Now you find a situation where North Dakota State's got a couple losses. This could be the third loss. And then they got a couple more ranked teams to go, correct? Yeah. And this could be the rare first time they're not in the playoff since. Uh, Do you even know? Oh, nine. 09 was the last time. Which I think, I'm not actually sure they were eligible uh, to be in the playoffs in 09. So think about that. 
if they lose this game. Because the first year was 10. They went to the quarterfinals. I think it was against Eastern Washington. And Brock Jensen absolutely did not fumble in the red zone. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but, yeah. So if they have – well, that's probably a better conversation next week. If North Dakota State loses – Taking a look at their schedule and saying, does a seven win North Dakota State? Seven wins North Dakota State probably gets in, but yes. North Dakota State, correct? <laughs> Are you kidding me? If yes. it's a six win team and they didn't beat any ranked teams, even if they're North Dakota State, well, they, they still got that? they've still got Southern Illinois and at Northern Iowa games where they are favored, and against Southern Illinois, actually considerably favored. So, well, that'd be a fun talk if uh, maybe next week we'll we'll dive in just a, a few minutes of that. Yes. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it, but. That being said, the Jackrabbits have had the number lately. I'm still going Jackrabbits because I'm a firm believer. You are the man, so somebody beat you. I'm going Jackrabbits. Bite my shiny metal took us. I'm taking the Bison in Brookings. Such a homer. Ah, they're going to do it. They're gonna, this is the He's moment. Their defensive line is going to get absolutely massacred. But this is the week that they're going to do it. <laughs> my fondest memory of Brookings is fourth and Cofield, okay? Yeah. So, um, yeah, and goal line, Furman and Chattanooga. So I think my theory on this is going to be you're starting to see Chat having to play, you know, nine straight weeks in a row, ten weeks or whatever it is, ten weeks in a row, right? Ten straight weeks before they get the bye. Yes. I think they're starting to show little cracks. I think people are going to look at both results and think, oh, my goodness, what's wrong with Chat? What's wrong with Furman? They should have lambasted the next two. But both those teams were looking at each other. Both those teams, I am convinced, we're trying to run as little as possible to get to this point. And to me, the most complete team is going to win the game, and the most complete team, top to bottom, is Furman. Is Furman. The Furman Paladins. And even if they weren't, who was I going to take? The Furman Paladins. Exactly. I know, know, because you can't pick Chattanooga. I'm with you. I, I think Chattanooga is gassed. I think they are out of juice um, They because the SOCON gave them a raw deal. Remember, we went through this last year where we had our buy in like week nine. Chattanooga's buy is after the conference season is over. This is their last SOCON game. And then they go bye week and at Bama. Well, that's pointless. And this is a thing. This is a, one of those. This is another reason why the SOCON needs to expand is because this is denying teams meaningful games at the end of their season because it's denying them the rest late that they need or the rest at a critical juncture but that they need. It's also selling selling yourself for the money game because yeah. basically the conference schedule is set after everybody turns in their money game. 100%. And also I blame the SEC because there's no other league where you're allowed to play before Auburn. You're allowed to schedule an FCS game. But I, I just want to lay this out. Okay, South Dakota State, North Dakota State, North Dakota, South Dakota, Northern Iowa, and Youngstown State and Southern Illinois are all in the playoff mix in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Do you know what those teams have in common? They have a bye week not in week 10. They, have, they all had their bye in week four. Every single one of them had their bye in week four. The only team that's realistically in the playoff mix in the Valley that didn't have a week four bye is Illinois State. And they're not really in the playoff mix anymore after they lost to Northern Iowa last week. So uh, that is a situation that I look at. I mean, they'd have, I mean, if Illinois State, I guess they beat Missouri State and beat UND both on the road, then they'd be back in it. But um, 
the league knew what their teams needed to have the most success and put on the best product, and they accommodated that. And the SoCon can't do that because SoCon only has nine teams, so you can't have everybody in action in a given week and have multiple teams off at the same time. So the league basically just at some point decides that one or two schools are just going to have to take it on the chin and have their bye week at the end of the season. Mercer's bye week is the last week of the year. That's ridiculous. Now, they got the, they got the early one, right, because they played the week zero again. But that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And uh, I, I'm, ta- I'm beating around the bush here. I'm taking Furman for the same reason that Jay did. I hate this. I hate this. I had to pick North Dakota State, even though I think North Dakota State's actually going to lose, just because we, we can't pick all the same teams in the pick six. Um, but this is, this is something that the SOCON can remedy by expanding and going to 10 or even 12 football teams is you can have a more consistent slate of bye weeks. Or you can just tell teams, hey, we're not going to accommodate your money game anymore. You figure it out. It's your money. You figure out when you can work it in. And if you that means you can't play an SEC game, uh, SEC team on homecoming in November, well, too bad for you. Maybe they should not be playing FCS teams on homecoming in November. Maybe they should schedule teams that can actually. That's my argument. There's no other league in the country where the you know Auburn Alabama can schedule an FCS game before the Auburn Alabama game. Yeah. Uh, There's no. There's nobody else doing that. Everybody else usually plays the traditional two, three games early in the year. To my knowledge, I believe the SEC is the only one that that rattles off. I mean, think about this: ETSU's played into the year Vandy. They played into the year Mississippi State. There's nobody else doing that in the country. So I do blame the SEC some because all the ACC games, I take that back, Citadel played at, at, uh, what's still SEC, with South Carolina. They played South Carolina in the year a few years ago. Yeah, uh, but even even Sanford's not playing an SEC bye game at the end of the year, but they're playing a non-conference game last week of the season. They're playing a huge March. (laughs) Yeah, and they're on their bye this week. Like, that's just absurd. And and this this whole idea of the purity of the single round robin has got to go away if the SoCon wants more teams in the playoffs. This, by the way, for those who are not aware, this is the SoCon title game. Chattanooga Furman is the SoCon title game. The winner clinches the AQ because Chattanooga would be seven and one in the clubhouse, and they would have the head to head over Furman, which is the only other team that could win uh, win seven games in conference play. And if Furman wins. Uh, the worst they can finish is six and two. Nobody else can finish better than that, and they're three and zero against the other three teams that can finish six and two. So this is the automatic. This is the title game. This decides the automatic bid two weeks before the end of the season. The auto bid should be in the balance at the end of the year. That's something that should be like building up to the end of the season. You get all this drama. Now, what do the last two weeks mean? Not very much. But if Chattanooga wins this game, I think the SoCon can get four teams in. If they lose this game, I think it might only be two. If, if Chattanooga wins this game, Mercer wins out, Furman wins out, and Western, Western wins, wins out, out. then you have four teams at eight and three or better. Yeah, and I, I think it would be very – looking at some of the other things around the country, it would be very tough to to hold those teams out. The Southland is a mess. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's a one big league. Uh, maybe we should start looking at that on Tuesdays. Yeah, the, the UAC, I think, is probably two, unless Eastern Kentucky beats Austin P. Um, it might even, and even then, that one might still only be one. If, if Austin P wins that game, if Austin P wins out, the UAC might end up with one. Might get, might get two. Um, the OV 
SEC is probably one. Again, I think Tennessee State is mostly, I think their resume is mostly air, to be honest. Um, UT Martin just lost at Gardner-Webb, and I think we kind of agreed that if you lose at Gardner-Webb, given the team that Gardner-Webb has this season, it's probably not the best team. Um, so, and and the CAA stinks. I asked that conference stinks. Yeah, but they really get five in for some reason or whatever. It's some ridiculous number. They're going to get. Understands. De- Delaware is going to be. Delaware is good. Delaware is legitimately good. Villanova has a good record, um, and Albany may end up with a good record. I think Albany beats William and Mary this week. I don't know. That's not my extra point, but okay, we still got to do that. We still got to do that. PAT. I've got Nichols at Incarnate Word. Uh, they're going to put the Southland out of its own misery by uh, knocking out the only ranked team left in that conference. I ain't taking a road team. I'm going the Vikings. Portland State? I am. Portland State at UC Davis. That's actually not that bad of a pick. Oh, I know that. I was hoping you didn't know that. <laughs> um, I, th- I think UC Davis is done. Um, and Portland State, Eastern Washington losing to Portland State is so bad. That's bad. You're not supposed to do that if you're in Eastern Washington. And UC Davis isn't supposed to do it either, and I think UC Davis might do that as well. So that's a, that's a nice that's a nice pull by you. It's a nice pick. Quick recap, volleyball home Friday, Saturday, ETSU football Saturday, Sunday, SoCon, men's soccer. Volleyball also on Saturday. Yep, and men's basketball Monday. Yes. And when we record Tuesday, women's basketball will be in Kentucky. And if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to take a day off, uh, take it off next Tuesday and go to uh, Lexington and support women's basketball. They're not playing the game at UK. They're playing it at Transylvania. So if you went to the WBI, you already know where to go. But our coverage of uh, football begins tomorrow, really at 10 a.m. with Grill Talk, and then at 11.30 on the radio with Jay Sandos, Matt Wiljam, Don Hellman, Robert Harper, the whole Mary crew. Jay, keep fucking your sports network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.